0: Namo Tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tasa Bhagavato Arahato sam, Sambuddhasa Namo Tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa This evening, I would like to talk about turning obstacles into opportunities for awakening. And these are the obstacles that we see when we meditate and also in our daily life. They are the five hindrances. They are given in the scriptures as sensual desires, ill will. Sleepness and uh, dullness, restlessness and worry, and doubt. They hinder peace, happiness, freedom, concentration, and to the, the path to awakening. But what is very interesting is when we are free from them, then gladness arises, joy tranquility, happiness, concentration, and really they serve as a vehicle all the way to awakening. In 2000, I lived in New England and one of my major obstacles was the weather. It was very cold for me. I grew up in Africa and I went to India for five years. I mean, this was incredible heat in India. Those who have been to India, especially in May, it can go to 44 degrees. For five years, I endured that. Then uh, returned to Africa. Then back, uh, I came to the States, Boston. It was very cold here by my standards. (laughs) Now, a friend of mine, uh, I called him, and then I told him, it's too cold here. He told me that, actually, there's nothing like bad weather, but there's bad clothing. <laughs> <laughs> For me, that shifted the whole relationship I had with this weather. In fact, when I had Christmas in 2000, I did, uh, uh, 99. I did a three-month retreat here. And to, uh, 2000, I went to Vermont, on a, there's a ski resort there. My friend said, let's go to a ski resort. <laughs> He taught me how to make snowball, <laughs> And when we went home, I said, I'm going to stay in this room for one week. I'm not going to go out. So I, he gave me a computer. And the, my friends used to go for a walk with dogs. I said, I'm going to stay here. I'm not going to go outside. <laughs> but my friend telling me that, oh, there's nothing like bad weather, but bad clothing. So I, I, I decided to, to look for the proper clothing. I asked about the gloves. They told me you can get battery operated gloves. (laughs) Because all the gloves I used, they were not working for me. (laughs) People used to put on gloves and they're fine. But for me, especially these tips, were so cold. Then they told me about pants and all that. And I learned a lot of uh, uh, vocabulary here, like down jacket. I didn't know what's a down jacket. (laughs) So they gave me down jacket. (laughs) And I really looked like an astonant, actually, when I put on this down jacket. And uh, still I had a problem with the pants. That's before we came out. I went to Boston, REI, and bought a proper pants for snow. <laughs> I came down here and I tried them on snow. I wasn't getting cold. I said, wow, proper clothing's good. So I went out for skiing, con- con- cross-country skiing. I fell down <laughs> and I, I was with, with this guy who knew how to ski. I'm telling you, I, me, I, followed, I followed him like a pro and I fell down on the ground. It was so hard, There down there there was a, a basket thing. It was so hard and then I came, I was so frustrated. But I said, okay, I'll do other things. I started walking instead of skiing. So, but still I was, had the confidence that uh, at least I have proper clothing. I could go out and walk before I could, not out, I could not go out for my walks. So with the hindrances, it's the same. I would say confidently, there's, there's, not, there's nothing bad like uh, bad hindrances like this. But there's bad mindfulness, which is mindlessness. <laughs> Paying anyone's attention to uh, these hindrances. So this brings uh, to, uh, us to one major important thing is that how can we relate to the hindrances when they arise? Instead of pushing them away, as I used to do for the weather, I was really pushing it away. But once I, get, I got the proper clothing, I liked it. That's why I went for skiing, cross-country skiing. I went for snow shoeing, horse shoeing, I don't even remember. Anyway, I did so many things with snow, <laughs> I don't even remember. So, I mean, I was confident to ride the snow, to do everything I needed for snow. I mean, in snow. So once you have mindfulness, actually you can really see the whole picture of these, mindful, these uh, hindrances. It's like energies. It's like weather. They are changing all the time. But once we don't have enough mindfulness, then they're going to overpower us. So some of the techniques you are going to see, they're about actually gearing up, getting ready for the hindrances. So let us go, uh, starting with sense desires. The Pali word is called kamachanda. Kamachanda. I hope you understand some Pali. <laughs> so uh, this is a very interesting word. Kama means sense. Chanda is actually a Pali word which means will to do, will to act. But what's very interesting in our monastic training settings, we use this word when uh, there's a meeting and you don't want to go to the meeting, so you give approval. In other words, you consent. So then he say, Bante Buddha Rakita, are you going for the meeting? No, no, I give you my chanda. So if you put the two words together, come and chanda, so it's like we are, we are approving the sensual world to be part of us, to rule us right, in whatever direction it wants. So you are approving all the time. You approve this, you approve this and that, hearing beautiful sights and all this. Here in, at IMS and any other retreat setting, uh, there's not a whole lot of things to have some desires, sense desires. Buddha maybe, <laughs> uh, not a lot actually, there's no pictures hanging on a the wall. Uh, there's no television, not so many things. But still, what's very interesting is sometimes they arise. Not all the time, but sometimes. I mean, I'm going to give you some areas where you can actually watch them arising. Um, the first one is when the bell rings to go for lunch or breakfast. Watch your mind: Are you leaning forward? And then you, st- you, you stand up and you go in a line and you're going slowly by slowly, and then you reach the table where there's food. Watch your mind: Actually, first even your mouth. Is it watering? And then you know that uh, hindrance is raising its ugly head. (laughs) Then when you actually start serving yourself, then are you putting more food than usual? Especially for those who are taking eight precepts. (laughs) And uh, when actually the food is too far away, watch your neck whether it's overstretching. (laughs) looking there, <laughs> comparing what you're putting right now in the plate and what's over there. So I call it rubber band neck. <laughs> tend to stretch, <laughs> keep on stretching. So those are the moments actually to watch sense desires. Another is when you really sit down. When you really sit down to eat, I would like you to observe the relative position of the spoon and the food. Should you find your spoon here, let's say you have put one in the mouth and there's another one packed already <laughs> to be put inside, such chances are that actually the, the sense desires are rising. Whether it's here, whether it's here, or here. So watch it. Can we relax and then put the spoon down and eat mindfully? Mindfully. And then see what happens. <laughs> anyway, you may not be doing all that. There's another chance to watch Sense Desires. During the day, I would like you to watch how many times you go to the notes board and stand there still and watch <laughs> whether you are scheduled for <laughs> an interview or not, <laughs> whether you have a note or not. <laughs> This is very interesting, actually. <laughs> we, I, I mean, we are all wonderful yogis, we're sitting here. But it's amazing how they sneak in. They sneak slowly but slowly. According to the Buddha, he said that um, the cause of sense desires is paying anywise attention to the theme of beauty. Now, again, there's a Pali word there, it's called ayoni so So yoni means womb. Uh, Mani is mind and uh, kara is to do. So when you put together, could be work of the mind that does not go to the source. So this is a rough translation. but. Uh, uh, In English, they translate it as unwise attention. Paying unwise attention when you see something beautiful. When you see the food. I like this. Monks, we have a training. (laughs) We put our arms both there, and then people put. (laughs) So put food. And then it all get mixed. (laughs) It all get mixed together. And uh, you pay wise attention, of course, to try to uh, practice. It works, but some monasteries, there's a monastery in Sri Lanka where I go to practice sometimes. Uh, once you get food, you line up, all monks line up. And then you start giving your food to the, starting with the abbot. So whatever food you have put in your, uh, they have put in your arm's bowl, you start actually sharing, sharing. So by the end, of that practice, you sit down, you don't have the food which you originally had. So you have all this food for 20 monks, <laughs> all together. So it's a wonderful practice, I think. Yes, so then it helps us, of course, not to get attached to food. You may not want to try that, but uh, <laughs> I'm just telling you that we're working on it also. <laughs> so. The Buddha was very interesting how he gave us our plate to be like this. Uh, even people, when they're putting things in our arms, but they're trying to put it in a corner there and a corner there, thinking that they will not mix. But actually, as you put it down, as it all gets uh, mixed, you know. so there's no attachment, <laughs> even if you want, <laughs> including an ice cream. It melts and all over a thing, <laughs> quite a practice. <laughs> <laughs> so unwise attention causes uh, sensual desire to arise. This means really uh, taking things which are impermanent and take them as permanent. Taking things which are uh, dukkha, suffering, and you take them as pleasurable. Thus called unwise attention I only saw taking things which you have no safe, no safe and you take them to be safe. Actually that's how desires are, sus- are sustained. Sensual desires assume that things are permanent and once we project that things are permanent, this is what's going to go uh, to be every time. I will go to that restaurant and have the best food, nice pizza, whatever it is. And then you expect that even you go there the next day, next week, it will be the same. But you'll be surprised when you go there and it's very different. <laughs> so uh, so that's unwise attention. So then the solution is to pay what we call wise attention. Wise attention is yoniso manisikara. That means going to the source where you see things as... A, we, we, which are impermanent, you see them as impermanent. So things which are suffer, uh, unsatisfactory, you see them as unsatisfactory. Things which are, are non safe, you see them as non safe. So, very interesting word actually, uh, unisomansikara and unisom sikara. So, you are going to hear this a lot wise attention and unwise attention. So, then uh, definitely if you pay wise attention to uh, less than appealing aspects of uh, the body or the food, how it's processed, I think that can help. We're not going to dwell on that <laughs> so but uh, there are other ways on working with sensual desires it's one of them is to be mindful of the desire itself. You just give a sim- a, a very soft note, mental or Desire, when it arises, desire. So you recognize its presence. When desire arises, when it's present, you become aware of desire. And also its absence, actually, because that's the freedom once you know it has subsided, there's a degree of freedom. You feel a relief. In fact, that's a very good moment to compare the moment when you had desire and the moment when there was no desire. There's that shift uh, of awareness and freedom, actually, to realize that now we are free. Of course, you can investigate also in terms of uh, anicha, impermanence. Uh, Joseph gave a wonderful talk yesterday about impermanence as a vehicle for arising of wisdom. So I don't need to go over that a lot, but uh, once desire arises, you just watch. Is it increasing? Is it decreasing? Sometime as you see food there's watering in the mouth and then it decreases. It doesn't stay the same. Nothing stays the same. <laughs> so you're going to see that. And how unsatisfactory it is because sometime uh, it changes and then you feel unsatisfied because uh, feelings change, taste change. even. Food is not uh, prepared in the same way, so everything changes. Then, non-attachment to the object of desire, not clinging. There's a staff member here who put a nice caption at his seat. It's called "Not I, Not Mine, Not Self." In other words, "Not (laughs) I'ms." So that's a good uh, thing to remember, not I am wise. That means this desire is not I, is not mine, is not self. In other words, what it means, it's another rising mind state. It's another rising mind state. So there's no need to hold on to it as mine, this my desire. Guarding your senses every time you're you are seeing something and just become a way of seeing, hearing, testing, as you're chewing food, just keep on noting, testing, 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 swallowing, and all that, because that's what is going on. Also, reducing the amount of food that helps. So, try to cut down the amount of food that can reduce some desire for food. Sometimes, sensual desires can disguise as uh, like. I like this, I like an ice cream, and all this. So, we say these things I'm craving for an ice cream, but we think that's not desire, but actually, it's the desire itself masquerading as your likes. So, we all have likes and all this. So, you might want to watch that and see how it goes. So, the next one is ill will. Ill will, that means your will is ill. Very, sim- very simple. <laughs> this is the opposite <laughs> of desire. When desires are frustrated, in other words, when, once something gets in the way of our desired, desired objects, sure, you're going to have hatred, ill will. Aversion, because something gets in the way. There, in this retreat center, uh, there's not a lot of opportunities for ill will to arise. But I tell you some of opportunities when it can actually. I, and I could see this in my practice uh, when I, I was a yogi here as a layman on a three month retreat, my job was ring bell. I mean, this is a big center, I don't know if you, you took a tour. And then I could meet this slow walking yogi. <laughs> I mean, th- there's no place to bypass, to overtake her. And you really want to ring that bell (laughs) so that you go to every building and this yogi just taking time to walk. It's like these elephants in India, they just walk, whether it's a Mercedes Benz, whether it's a wheelbarrow, they don't care who's on the road. These are the elephants in Sri Lanka, I've seen them. Whether it's heavy traffic, it doesn't matter. The elephant just moves like this, never speeds. (laughs) Now, I meet this yogi, even I remember her very well, I <laughs> said, so what can I do? Can I, say, can I say, excuse me? You can't say it's a silent retreat. <laughs> you get frustrated because once you, you delay in that alley, down there there's a bowling alley, you delay for almost three minutes. You're going to come here late and you don't want to be embarrassed when the teacher's here and you're just entering in. I'm telling you, I had to cultivate a lot of patience. Patience and patience. And you can see it arising. And you just have to watch. The, the beauty of this practice is that all the, the invitation you get from teachers <laughs> is watch. <laughs> watch it arising. So this is very interesting, actually. So I'd like you to watch this during your time here as you move around. and As uh, you walk and then you see fellow yogis may be clearing your throat and snoring and walking faster than the normal speed. So all these things actually can trigger um, our e-will. <laughs> but if that doesn't happen, every yogi is good here and everything. There is a time when the breath disappears. And you start actually directing anger toward yourself. I'm a bad yogi. I mean there's nothing to do. <laughs> it's not that you're a bad yogi. <laughs> I'm the only one who's actually experiencing this problem. Everybody is not experiencing this. No. How do you know? According to the Buddha, again unwise attention, paying unwise attention. Uh, leads to, uh, of course, paying unwise attention to the theme of irritation leads to the arising of ill will. Also, focusing on the object of anger can cause anger to arise. Instead of focusing on anger as a mind state itself, and you focus on the person situation. That actually uh, increases anger. So we're always actually doing that all the time. When somebody makes you angry, instead of being away of the anger here in this box, you actually just focusing on the person. It's like when you are, you're having a car, you have your passport, money there, it's burning, and then somebody has set fire on that car, and then he, when you come, that person starts running, and you just start running after that person. <laughs> <laughs> so now your car's burning, your passport's burning, your money's burning, everything's burning. Instead of, instead, of, instead of taking care of that, your passport and so on, you actually start running after somebody who has caused fire. I mean, it doesn't really make sense because one thing, you might get him or her. (laughs) But once you get him or her, still when you come back, your case already (laughs) burnt. Good luck if you get him (laughs) or her. But okay, if you don't get him or her, still you're frustrated because you come back, still your case burnt. So anger has a function. uh, Its actual function is to burn. It burns you. So instead of of dealing with the anger in the mind and really appease it from here, we always focus outside. And hence, always we're angry, all the time. Because we don't focus on where anger is arising from the source. That's why we have to pay wise attention. Going to the source, seeing things arising. So the solution to anger is actually paying wise attention. Going to the source, it's here in the mind, seeing it's changing and all that. The insight into dukkha, which uh, somebody's going to talk about this, actually opposes a will or aversion. That's really opposes. Like anicca opposes uh, desire, sensual desires. Insight into dukkha opposes a will. Because if you know that, Everybody's suffering. If you know somebody who is causing you, uh, mess, uh, anger, and all that, you know that is really suffering. Actually, that's the case. People who cause us anger, who cause anger to arise within us, they are going through difficult time. They didn't sleep very well. And they're suffering. That's why actually they are throwing anger on you, all the time. So, but once you get insight into dukkha, oh, I'm suffering. They are suffering. Then, you don't. Uh, uh, Get so ang- get get so much angry. Another cause of uh, anger or ill will is taking things too personally. Taking things too personally is number one cause of anger. <laughs> it's me, yes. Oh, please, can I do this? No, this is just a system problem. This is a, it might be. A, Something has nothing to do with you. But once somebody says it, you say, it's me, uh, maybe I, I've done something wrong. But you have nothing, you have done nothing wrong. So taking things too personally, then you start blaming others, uh, kind of blame games, you know, you blame uh, your feeling to, uh, to others. Okay, now I feel grumpy because of so and so. Then you blame others, you take things too personally, you blame others. So then um, the way to overcome this is actually to be more mindful. Uh, when anger arises, it will arises. You be mindful of its presence when its presence uh, is present. How does it feel? We say that uh, um, as sensual desire is leaning forward, so ill will is just pulling away all the time like this. Can you imagine walking in your day life when you are like this? It will be very painful actually. So that's what we do, always pulling away, pulling away. So can we get interested? Can we see this ill will arising as a mind state? Is it increasing? Is it decreasing? Is it staying the same? How do you feel it in the body when it arises? Sometimes when you have a version is an area to watch is the jaws. You really tighten them. You really like, become very still. The shoulders get like this, narrowed down. The chest get constricted, constricted, and the lungs have a lot of pressure. So the key is to open. Open the chest. You may want to even loosen the jaws. Open your mouth, maybe. Not so la- wide, of course. <laughs> so... Um, Really investigate how uh, anger or ill will feels in the body. How does it feel in your mind? Because it's localized when you have this kind of uh, difficult emotions like ill will and aversion, you can feel it in the body. So the uh, thing that also you have to do is not to hold on to anger, not to Non attachment to anger because sometimes when anger rises or aversion, you will, we hold on to it. This is my anger. I've been angry all the time since I was 18 years. So we justify it and we hold on t- to it tightly. Even when it's burning, we know <laughs> it's burning, but we hold on to it. Sometimes Joseph gave a very good analogy. I was here as a yogi. <laughs> he talked about Holding on to a hot iron bar like this, and when it's burning, you just keep on holding on to it. (laughs) Even when people say drop it, you keep on holding on to it. So we hold on to these difficult mind states like ill will, and they're burning us. So the key is to let go. So ill will can disguise itself as uh, dislike. I hate snow. So (laughs) you see, like this. So you think it's very funny, <laughs> but actually you're concretizing uh, this mind state. It will, as you keep on saying this in your vocabulary, yes. I hate seeing you, I hate seeing you. This kind of thing is very common. I hate pudding, <laughs> all these things. <laughs> so it becomes part of our vocabulary, but actually re- reinforcing some of these mind states. sleepiness, and dullness. There's a Buddhist jargon. It's called sloth and torpor. <laughs> Have you heard about this? It's very beautiful, actually. I heard there's an animal called sloth. <laughs> and also, there's another one, sluggishness. That one, I can relate to that. I've never seen a, thro- a sloth, sloth, but I've seen a slug. The way it walks in, This. So that's the idea that we get when uh, with this hindrance is called tinamida. Again, it arises because of unwise attention, paying unwise attention to drowsiness after meals. Of course, after meals, what do you expect? You have food here, then blood goes here for digestion, then you don't have enough um, blood here in the brain. So there's this kind of mental sluggishness, congealed state of mind. Of course, the solution is to pay wise attention to the arousing of energy. Because once we have sleepiness, then that is a good indication we don't have uh, enough energy. So we are low on energy. So we need to arouse it. Uh, I'm going to give you a few tips on this uh, But be creative, actually. I was in Burma in 2004 for a two-month retreat. And there was this monk from China who had this sleepiness. He was sitting in front of me. So, I mean, there are serious yogis there. I mean, you wake up at (laughs) 3. Sleep time is 10. And they put 11 in case you need more practice. So you expect, (laughs) you expect, you are expected to sleep at 11 actually and wake up with three. So now, I mean, all these teachers must have gone through this practice, including Joseph. (laughs) It's this side of Pandita in Burma has this incredible schedule where actually it's walking and sitting, there's no lying down. You guys, you have a good time here. I see people lying down there. But there's just, <laughs> <laughs> that's the <a> training. <laughs> I mean, when you wake up at 3, one would expect that you, you'll run out of energy. <laughs> because sleep time, of course, though it's 11. You, you got to walk to your koti. Maybe you start sleeping at 11.30. And since uh, you've been practicing for long oh, the whole day, you end up waking up at 2.30. So you have really little sleep, really. So this yogi was all the time nodding like this, all the time was nodding. I was sitting uh, just in behind him, and, and then halfway the retreat, this yogi moved his cushion and put it in front of a big pillar, concrete pillar. <laughs> so what is he doing? <laughs> so this monk, every time he was nodding, He would his head was turning towards the pole like this. I thought he was going to smash his head. (laughs) Actually, I felt restless, uh, restlessness, (laughs) because I could not bear the sight of this monk smashing his head on this pole. I mean, we have hundred yogis and all around, you know, and there's one creative yogi who really thought that. He could overcome sleepiness by just being in front of a big pillar. I think what it did, it worked actually. The guy never actually knocked the pole. Every time he was turning towards it, he would be awake like this. <laughs> <laughs> I think here there's some room, of, some room for creativity here. <laughs> The Buddha gave a lot of techniques, actually, to overcome sloth and torpor. But I give you, of course, proper clothing, as I told you, proper clothing. So you have to raise your mindfulness. You don't have enough energy. You have to find a way how you can raise that energy. So as you're noting your object, breathing in, breathing out, maybe you want to increase those notings uh, more energetically, more... Strong mindfulness, stronger mindfulness, because mindfulness has different degrees also. So you want to have more uh, to arouse more effort as you are watching the object of mindfulness of meditation. So breathing, breathing in and out, there's only one object, and you start following sleep like this, then you open your eyes, take a deep, slow breath, and then try to watch more objects like maybe touching points, all the touch points. this the knee, uh, the ankle, and the, all the touch points. Actually, that helps a lot because you're giving more object. It's like when a kid is very very lousy, and, and uh, come home, very lazy. So you have to give more homework. <laughs> so what do you do? You give your mind more homework, to <laughs> more things to work on. <laughs> except from the breath, then you go to the knee, over here, the ankle, over here. Actually, that will help to widen the scope and then you have more energy. So you have more sustained energy. If that doesn't work, it is better maybe to stand up. Just stand up for a few more minutes. Once you stand up, Actually, sleepiness will go out, will go away, because standing requires a lot of effort, a lot of energy to stand up. Don't close your eyes when you are standing up. You might fall down. Actually, it happened one time. I was teaching in Brazil, <laughs> morning session. Somebody fell like this. I thought they have smashed the desk. I felt very bad about this. <laughs> so never close your eyes when you are standing. <laughs> This has, there has never been an accident in meditation, so don't create, one, no, don't create one by closing your eyes when you're standing. So then sit down. If that doesn't work, go for a short walk meditation. Walk fast, a little bit faster, and then arouse more energy. If you feel asleep, let me know, I'll give you a hotline. <laughs> if you really feel asleep when you're walking, I, I'm interested to know. <laughs> it's impossible to feel asleep when you're walking. And this is not a break from meditation, actually. It's actually continuing your mindfulness as you're walking, and then you come down. So investigation is very, very important. First, recognition of sleepiness as it arises, sleepiness, sleepiness, sleepiness. That's the first thing you have to do, really. And then, how it affects your mind. Because sometimes you feel fogginess, you know, then you become aware of that. How does sleepiness affect your body? Sometimes you feel the heaviness of the head, sometimes you feel your body is really so heavy. So try to see how it affects your body. All that is actually part of mindfulness mindfulness of the body, and all this mindful of, mindful of mind states. So you are not taking a holiday in your meditation. You are actually with the practice. So I like to recommend those techniques other than uh, washing your, ha- your face. Of course, you can do that uh, to wash your face. But uh, I would apply those as a last resort, such, can, uh, such techniques. They work, I'm not saying that they don't work. In fact, some of them, the Buddha gave some of them, like pulling your ears. Of course, when you pull them, they become hot and more saturation. So you have Maasai ears. Maasai have long ears in Africa. (laughs) So they do like this. Make sure you you remove your earring, actually. It can be very painful. Yes. Um, Other people give some solution like... uh, Uh, like increasing your inhaling uh, over your exhaling. So you take a deep breath. But I understand the science behind that because when you take a deep breath, you have more oxygen to go to the brain. So some people do such things. But for me, I like to work with the first techniques of really increasing mindfulness, like noting it, mentally noting, sleepiness, sleepiness, investigating. And not really... uh, Uh, holding on to your sleepiness, that, oh, it's my sleepiness. You don't own it. You remember I am not I, not mine, not myself. So sleepiness is another rising mental state. That's what you have to remember. Now, sometimes sleepiness and dullness can masquerade as self-compassion. Oh, I need a nap, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's hot here. (laughs) Why not? <laughs> take care of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> then you go for one. Then evening, you know, ah, uh, you know, uh, you should be good to yourself actually. And then you, you take another one. <laughs> <laughs> naps after one naps and after one naps, actually, that sleepiness disguising itself. There's another way how uh, sleepiness can disguise itself. It can disguise itself as concentration. You, s- you sit here, we give you instruction, you put one cushion in the hand here, another cushion here, another cushion on the knee, another cushion here, another cushion here. How many are those? <laughs> And then, okay, take a deep, slow breath and um, everything's mellow, little light, not too much bright. <laughs> Let it go of the past and the future. Feel calm and peaceful, everything is going well, comfy and uh, cozy. <laughs> yes, then you start nodding. <laughs> nah after maybe 30 minutes, you wake up. Oh, that's concentration. (laughs) Finally, I got it. I've been meditating for weeks. Last POC, I didn't have a good time. This one, I've got it. But actually, there's a difference between, uh, between concentration and sleepiness. <laughs> With concentration, actually, you know. <laughs> but people who have never been there really feel how it really means to be concentrated. When they go into that state, when the mind sink, actually this is called sinking mind, they feel they've got it. Oh, This is the first jhana, there are people who have read about this is the second jhana. <laughs> The fourth is called restlessness and worry, Tinamida in Pali. This is also caused by uh, unwise attention uh, to unrest of mind, unrest, the mind which is not resting at a point. It's like a pendulum, all the times like this. Never come to a rest. When restlessness arises, that's a very clear indication. There's an imbalance of energy. There's a lot of energy, In excess of concentration. Then the key is to pay wise attention to quietitude of mind. There's a way how we have to make our mind quiet. I'll tell you. But the parabola should give you the first technique, I think, to be mindful of restlessness itself. When it arises, be mindful of restlessness, make a mental note, restlessness, restlessness, restlessness. If it goes for a long time, let's say a couple of minutes, you don't have to have a watch to do that. Just get a sense of the time. Come to the body, feel the body sitting here. Because when you have restlessness, that means you are too much in the mind. So come to the body, feel the body touching the ground and all that. And then if, see how it feels, how, because these are energies. You can feel the energy, how it feels. If it continues, then you might want to find what's behind this restlessness. It might be worry, good things that you left undone. Let's say you didn't assign somebody to water the plants. Uh, to take care of your cards, <laughs> So there's something really, actually, at the back of your mind, really pending there, and it's unresolved. Maybe it is some kind of aversion, of fear, or uh, greed. So you actually become aware of what's really triggering this restlessness. Chances are it will be worry of maybe having done something unskillful. Maybe you forgot to give... Uh, Christmas card to your uncle or whatever. Uh, You forgot to give a Buddha mass card. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, you know what? What is it? (laughs) You don't know? (laughs) Buddha mass? (laughs) (laughs) You forgot and all this. And then we have one actually. (laughs) Yes, that's when the Buddha was born and got enlightened and passed away and. So we remember this date, and then actually in Sri Lanka, I've been to Sri Lanka. There's these cards actually they give out, and um, they don't call them budemas; <laughs> they call them visa cards. <laughs> but uh, visa is called Visak. But there's something always we we forgot to do. Oh, how is my uncle going to think about me? I didn't give a Christmas card. I didn't give a birthday card, I forgot to give a cake or something like that. So it just bothers our mind all the time. Simple things like those can come actually during meditation. So finding out what's behind restlessness can help a lot. Finding the underpinnings. Uh, Now you need to go into the area of investigation. A little bit, not too much, because if you investigate a lot, sometimes uh, it can also lead to agitation. But you might want to take a moment to investigate in terms of uh, how it feels in the body. Uh, Is it agitated? How does the mind feel? Of course, restlessness can cause a lot of agitation. Sometimes you can even sweat. Actually restlessness is a nagging hindrance. Uh, Sleepiness is okay. After all, you are sleepy anyway. So when you come out of it, you really feel fresh, you know, but restlessness really takes a lot of energy. So you need to investigate a little bit how unsatisfactory it is, like really, it's unsatisfactory because you can see for yourself uh, when you cannot contain that energy, it leads to suffering and the selfless nature of this experience, the impersonal nature of this experience, that's called anatta impersonal nature of that experience. So, of course, not identifying with it, non-identification, non- or attachment, or non-attachment to this. Uh, Joseph actually gave a very good distinction yesterday about detachment and non-attachment. But I want to make it clear also to show you uh, what we really mean by really non-attachment, non- non-clinging. So, because it's a common thread that really goes through all these solutions to the hindrances, but I want to really make it clear. So now, something happens, let's say desire. This is it. This is a situation of where you're holding, you're holding. This is something you're holding on. it. So you're holding, it's like this. So it can go when you're holding things, Uh, And then it can come. It's okay. You are like this. So I think that's okay if you are holding things like this, our experience like this, okay? It goes and it comes. But what we do usually is like this. We hold on. That's what we call really clinging. We cling and you can feel the energy. So when something is going, then we don't want it to go. Then that resistance is the friction we get, is the stress we get when we cling on something. So I would like you to try. In your experience, are you holding like this or are you clinging? So there is a difference. Non-attachment. So non-attachment, this is it. This is non-attachment, right? So experience can go and come, avoid these kind of tendencies, to really hold on tenaciously to something like this. Of course, slowly by slowly, we lose as we become mindful and all that. So we lose slowly by slowly. Things we lose slowly by slowly, instead of having super glue. (laughs) You have super glue (laughs) on something. There's a Pali word called uh, raga, (laughs) Pali word, it means gluing. So we are gluing to the experience. yes. Yeah, so. But that leads to suffering because we know, as we all of us know, things are changing all the time. They lead to suffering. Restlessness can disguise itself as arousing a lot of energy, right? Yes, I'm watching the breath. Then you really grab or not, or grab your breath. Yes, I'm arousing a lot of energy. But actually, what's going on is restlessness. So I want you to see the difference between really applying yourself to the object and really restlessness when it arises. The last one is called doubt. Doubt, the Pali word is wichikicha which literally means uh, difficult to cure, very difficult to cure. So doubt is, uh, of course, also translated as uncertainty. When you have a kind of a wavering mind, what are we doing here? Even we doubt ourselves, can can I really meditate? (laughs) Everybody's meditating very well, but except me. Can I attain concentration? Uh, will I be able to really uh, get enlightened?" <laughs> and you can also doubt the teachers. I mean, how did they, how did they get, all, get it together? You know, So you doubt the teachers. <laughs> so you doubt the message itself, you doubt mindfulness, you doubt yourself. But I think the worst of all is really to doubt, doubt your capacity to practice self-doubt because that hinders your progress. Traditionally, they talk about doubt of the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha. But doubt is actually also caused by paying unwise attention to uh, to knowing the difference between what is skillful and unskillful. If we don't know the difference between what is skillful and unskillful, or wholesome and unwholesome, then doubt will arise because we don't know what we should do the buddha gave uh, the wonderful distinction between what is skillful and unskillful so we can distinguish it like this on the unskillful side if something is unskillful then we know that the motivation is greed hatred and delusion so that's unskillful then something skillful uh, sorry that's that's unskillful something skillful then the motivation is generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. So, when we can make that distinction, the doubt is not going to arise of what should I do, what should I not do, because you are paying wise attention to, to discerning the difference between what's wholesome and unwholesome. Another distinction is based on the result of the actions, it's result oriented, basically. It means that what I'm doing, is it leading to my happiness, the happiness of others, or both? So then you know that that's skillful. And the unskillful is what you're doing, where that leads to uh, suffering of yourself and others and both. So this kind of distinction is very important. Otherwise, we get confused. In fact, what really um, <clears throat> motivates this doubt to arise is ignorance, delusion. Because we cannot discern between what's skillful and unskillful. Again, when doubt arises, uh, pay wise attention to that distinction so that you can really distinguish between the two. Again, the invitation is to practice mindfulness as doubt arises. Become aware of doubt, doubt, doubt. Sometime it increases, sometimes it reduces. So we have to be aware of that. But what's very helpful with doubt is actually try to pay things uh, attention to what's happening in the present moment. Because usually doubt is in the past, projecting on the future, past. But really we are removed from the present moment. We are removed. So the invitation is to see if you can get hold on anything that is happening in the present moment, whether it's the body, feeling the body. Uh, Whatever. <laughs> One teacher I remember gave a very good run, uh, a very good uh, demonstration. He said, Okay, now hold like, your hand like this and say, so Where is doubt? <laughs> I think I like that very much because you are in the present moment. You can try it yourself, actually. Hold it like this, okay? Hold the pressure, feel it, and then pressure, tightness, and all the things. So, Where is doubt? It's not brain surgery. <laughs> Yes, there's no doubt because you're in a present moment. Yeah, so you want really to, to get an object which is happening right now, not in the past or in the future. So that will help to dispel doubt. Doubt can disguise itself as kind of a theoretical wisdom. Because wisdom has three stages. I think even Joseph must have mentioned that. So there's the stage of when we read in theory, we understand theoretically, but we don't practice it. So we know it on a theoretical level. Let's say Anicca. Ah, Anicca. There's even a song. <laughs> yes, all trees are getting old. <laughs> I know it. <laughs> you don't have to teach me Anicca. I know it. Actually, I was teaching in Pittsburgh one day. There's a, this doctor who was a surgeon. He was very busy, actually. But he made my, his way to my Dharma talk. He said, Bante, I cannot see impermanence. You're a surgeon. <laughs> you cut people. <laughs> and he was coming from a Buddhist country, actually, Thailand. So I was really surprised that uh, he really uh, said that. He was very honest. I, I can't see impermanence. So, actually, there are these levels of wisdom where we have the theory then the practice and realization. So those are the three levels of wisdom. So when uh, there's doubt, and then since we have studied a lot of Buddhism or Dharma, but we haven't put it in practice, then we think we know the whole Dharma. But we, we haven't practiced it to internalize it. Now they become, there comes a debate. <laughs> then we argue and argue. Then it comes to doubting. You start doubting, is it true, is it correct, I don't know. Then can I really meditate or not? So this happened, no, I, actually I've seen so many people who don't practice these things. There's a professor I just met on a conference in Thailand, it's called World Buddhist University. So I was with a professor from England. He told me I've been teaching Buddhism for 30 years, but I don't meditate. I'm not a Buddhist, <laughs> really, <laughs> it's wonderful actually. I'm very interested to know somebody who teaches Buddhism <laughs> and doesn't practice it. Even I was giving a talk, uh, I think a year ago, at a Christian university in Uganda. They invited me to give, give a talk about Buddhism and science. And I met a reverend there who is teaching Buddhism at this university. And he, of course, he doesn't practice Buddhism, he doesn't meditate. I said, I would like one day to come at your lecture. <laughs> And really uh, listen to what you're teaching, because really this dharma is very different. You have to know it theoretically, but you have to translate that in meditation practice and see it for yourself, and then you have to realize it. So where doubt masquerades is you start actually uh, uh, having this kind of uh, pseudo wisdom, uh, theoretical wisdom, and you think that you're wise. I've seen people who think they are wiser than the Buddha. (laughs) They can figure out things. So, say, no, the Buddha made a little bit of a mistake, you know. (laughs) Good luck. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. (laughs) Let us take a moment or two. Take a deep, slow breath. Remembering that. There's no bad weather, but bad clothing. There's no bad hindrance. In fact, observation of hindrance can lead to awakening if we know how to recycle this. Many people have made a lot of money on recycling. So we can recycle the hindrance and make use of it. And than pushing it in our little corners and be oblivious to it. I would like to end with a quote, I think it was from Shalini. The arising of hindrances are beyond our control. But the practice of mindfulness, I will add also wise attention, can make the difference between being free and being in bondage. Thank you very much for your practice. I offer this for your reflection. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.